0: BN
1: I guess we should figure out who's interviewing who first. <laughs> yeah, that's probably appropriate. I don't <laughs> care. You can interview me first. Okay. All right. Here we go from the Play Normal Esports Studio. This is Pod BN. I am Tyson. I'm Justin. And we're back again just the two of us to do something a little different. We spent the last time talking a lot about the background of the podcast itself, so we thought this time we could talk a little bit about ourselves for anyone who's interested in knowing more about us. figure if we're going to ask all these people these questions, we should be willing to answer them ourselves.
0: Yeah, I I think... um like Tyson said, hopefully you want to know more about us. If you don't know us already, you might learn something new. If you do know, know us, do you want to? Do you want to ask questions first? Or, yeah, or let's maybe. get to know Tyson. Tyson, uh, where you? I, I think one of the most interesting things about you that I learned early on was where you grew up. Yep. So.
1: Yeah, that's uh, that's always a story. I've I've learned uh, to limit the amount of, beha- amount of information I give on that to determine if people are interested in it. Some people <laughs> are very, very interested and in ask a bunch of follow-up questions. Other people, it's just way outside of their realm of, uh, of experience, and so I just kind of let it go. So, yeah, my parents worked for the military. They were teachers. Uh, there's a whole school system called the Department of Defense School System, or DODDS, and it exists. It's all the schools on military bases that are outside of America. And uh, these people go there for usually three-year tours. At least it was three-year tours when I was a kid. They might be different now. But they bring their kids with them. So the kids need a place to go to school. And they need teachers to teach those schools. And so that's what my parents did. My mom was an English teacher. She taught English as a second language. So, um, and my dad was a math teacher, and math and science. Yeah. And so I was born in Bermuda, Okay. There used to be a naval base there. And uh, so my parents met in Florida and were dating there. And then my dad got an offer to go teach in England. And so um, my my mom quit her job and went and moved to England with him. And they got married over there. And then um, they were in this uh, area that's overcast 300 days out of the year. So <laughs> then they decided they could deal with some more sun. So then they went to Bermuda. And lived there for two years. I was born there. Um, but it is a pretty small island. I highly recommend anybody go. I went there when I was in middle school. Okay. It's beautiful. Like They do so much environmental protection there. Like The water is so clear. You can just like walk out up to your knees and like put your goggles on and put your face in the water. You see all kinds of wildlife. Uh, the sand is pink because it's crushed up coral. It's not crushed up rocks. Yeah. And um, you can't rent a car there. You can only drive a car if you own property there. And so everyone was around on scooters, but uh, it's like a, I think it's like a 15, 20 mile per hour limit over the whole Island, but it's not very big. So if you live there for a while, it, you get a little, uh, stir crazy just being (laughs) on the Island all the time, no matter how, how great it is. So, so I moved from there to the Netherlands, which again, what age were you? I was one when they moved. Yeah. So I don't remember it from being there, but I went back later on Gotcha. to see the, my birthplace, Um, Mm. So yeah, going again from like this beautiful tropical island to this, uh, to this, uh, the Netherlands has Seattle weather. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's never much below 30 and it's never much above 80, which is nice. But then it, it drizzles like again, 300 <laughs> days out of the year. Everything's yeah. always just wet. So, uh, nice for growing food. But, um, but again, it was, it was so I spent 15 years there. That's just how, okay. it, that's just how it was. Um, you don't realize how nice the sun and the blue sky is. And if, if you don't know. So,
0: so today, do you appreciate, I mean, do you, are you a sunshine person? Do you want to be
1: outside when, when it's nice outside or yeah. do you
0: actually like the overcast days?
1: Um, so here's what I'll say. Like when I walk outside and it's like really blue sky and there's like clouds in the sky, it just makes me really, really happy Yeah, to see that. Um, on the other hand, I sunburn very easily. <laughs> <laughs> and so extremes of temperatures like aren't very good for me. Yeah. yeah. um, I uh, so when it's like really sunny out and I have to wear sunglasses and stuff like it just kind of it's a little bit too much for me. Um, But you know that being said, I'd rather be outside, especially with the three boys. They love being outside. Um, On the other end of the spectrum, my first year here. So I moved here to go to college, and I moved to Indiana. Went to an engineering college called Rose Holman, and uh, someone said it was zero outside, and I was like. You know, I, I grew up Celsius, sure so I know Fahrenheit. And I was like, wait, zero, like can it even be zero? Like I thought that's when molecular motion stopped. And they're yeah. like, No, it's zero Kelvin, it's different. But like I had no idea how cold like negative Fahrenheit was. Right. And I like I I didn't realize like it was never cold enough growing up that you you needed to wear a coat. Like you probably should, but if you didn't it was it was okay. Where like I was trying to go to class and I was like, "This like physically hurts me. <laughs> like, <I can't, laughs> like this feels dangerous." So uh, learning what that like extreme cold felt like, and uh, also the the extreme heat of the states. That we'd come back to visit my extended family every other summer. Yeah, it's part of my parents' benefit. They got free trips back uh, huh. to visit their family. That's cool over there. So it's a pretty good deal for a teacher to live in the Netherlands. Um, the main reason they moved there is because then you're connected to all of Europe. So my parents' big passion is traveling. They could travel all over the place. Um, and uh, But then you still had, like, they had a nice salary, they had a housing allowance, and then they also got trips back to visit family. Yeah. So I would come back every other year to the States, and I'd come to the Midwest in July. Yeah. And so I'd go from, like, 80 to, you know, like 100 sure. with 90% humidity. hmm I remember like the experience of walking, like opening the car in like a Walmart parking lot, and just like like the asphalt just yep. blasting up like in like your like face. Hairdryer, yeah, yeah. So I'm just like America is very hot. <laughs> so then I, I came here in the spring one time and I packed like no, no pants, no sweaters. And I opened up my suitcase and my mom's like, "Where's all your pants?" I'm like, "I was in America. I thought America's hot all the time." I'm like, no, like it gets cold here. So um, a lot of stuff to learn. <laughs> So yeah, then I went to move to Belgium for two years. That's where I met my wife. We went to high school together, senior year, and then um, everybody just came to college in the states. Um, first, it's pretty hard to get into a European university. Most of them are uh, publicly funded, so they don't let a lot of uh, foreign students in. It makes sense. A little, you can do it, but it's just a little tough tougher than here. And then um, also just, I mean, I'm American. I have an American passport. That was always just the expectation is like when you're 18, you you either join the military or you go to college, and that's sort of what you did. All right. Um, so, yeah, then I came here, kind of dabbled around. I had a bunch of different majors in college. I thought I was going to teach. And then um, got, at the end, uh, learned about actuarial science, started taking those tests, and then working at State Farm. So, uh,
0: Let me ask because this this has come up a couple conversations you and I have had is how your experience growing up in the Netherlands has impacted some of your views that we talk about on planning commission sometimes and just in conversations about what we want you know Bloomington normal to become in the future. Uh, You you have a unique perspective coming from the Netherlands, so kind of talk about that connection a little bit.
1: Yeah. So I struggle with how much of, like, these are things that I like from when I was a kid versus, like, this is what to fit for America. Right. I I annoyed a lot of people at first when I first came here with constantly comparing uh, America to Europe. Um, in particular, it's difficult when you're 18 and you've been able to drink legally. Yeah. And then you come here and you can't drink legally for three years. <laughs> but everyone around you is, like, getting drunk in a dorm off a of bad beer. And you're like, like, yeah, I did this when I was, like, 15 and... Like, pretty much all you want to do is just, like, drink large amount of alcohol and make you sick. Like, I figured this out already that that's not a pleasant thing to do. Right. So you figured that out before you were, you know, yeah, 17. By, <laughs> by the time we're, like, 18, most of us are like, yeah, it sucks to drink to excess because it makes you sick. You right. should not do that. And it also sucks to drink uh, nasty-tasting alcohol. You should, ta- you should drink good alcohol. Yeah. But then I'm in a position where I can't even, um, you know, buy it anymore. And that's such a big part of college life that I uh, – you know it, that's an example of a time where just like talking about how much better europe is with that it doesn't make anybody like happy it just makes them think you're a jerk so <laughs> i've learned to try to like keep that at bay but um i mean the netherlands is one of the most bike friendly countries in the world and so um i grew up in the country so i wasn't i wasn't like in the city where there were bike paths and stuff yeah um but you know i 'm very familiar with what the uh, downtown area that is pedestrian and bike friendly looks like, and that 's one of the things that still it 's like this unquestioned assumption in America. I think that a downtown at least in the midwest i you know i 'm not sure about other parts of the country, but in the midwest it seems like you need to have a road running down the middle of your downtown that that 's necessary and I just strongly question the value of that road that it is necessary like in front of your business. I don't see what the harm would be of not having cars be able to run down in front of there. Then your businesses can expand out into there with like seating or with advertisement or stuff like that. Um, and, the pedestrian mall is what you're talking yeah, about. A pedestrian yeah, pedestrian mall. Yeah, that's. So is that more what you what what was it in the Netherlands? Is yeah, this- that was Brunsdon, which was the biggest town by where we were, and then in Belgium, um, Mons, where. Mm-hmm. We would—that's uh, where all the bars were. So there'd be like a big, like center, like courtyard type place. All the, the um, places were around it. The businesses were around it, and everyone just kind of like sat out and enjoyed their time outside. Yeah. Um, there's a word in German called gemütlichkeit. It means like a feeling of togetherness and oneness in a community. Mm-hmm. And you, that's where, always where I felt it, like. Was and it's still where I feel it now is whenever like normal closes down the street for the sugar Creek to sugar Creek arts festival. Right. You've just got like a feeling of belonging in your community of being like together with people doing the same thing. And when I think of community, that's what I think of is that, is that feeling. And I, it's difficult to achieve. I think if you don't have a shared public space <laughs> to be in. Yeah. Um, so, do I have an agenda, like on planning to come in and, <laughs> and you know close off secret conspiracy the street? To, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, like no, I, I don't want to push it because people have to be ready for it. But when I see the downtown plan having elements of that in it, like it doesn't have to be permanently closed off. But on first Fridays, can't you close off some of the routes so that I can enjoy it without worrying about my you know my kids straying and getting hit by a car? You know, yeah. like. It it seems like a part that could easily be tried out to see if it's popular or not. I think businesses would like it. I mean, don't you think that—I guess it's hard with the parking, right? So it's change. I mean, that's the biggest
0: uh, thing I've heard from my time, not only just being downtown, but being on the downtown task force and those type of things. It's just—it's change that people are uncomfortable with. Mm -hmm. Um, And, I mean, there's some—so you and I will actually—we disagree on on that. I am am not for pedestrian malls. I am for shared spaces um, that most of the things that I've read um, show statistically in the United States because we are so car centric yeah um, that those pedestrian mall type situations, Hardly ever work out. People, cities have communities have done it, um, went all in on it, and then went backwards mm-hmm. um, because it just doesn't work. So, and I'm a, I'm 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 one of those people. It's like, well, has anybody else tried this and failed? All right, well then, well, I don't want to I don't want to do that either. <laughs> well, yeah, so, exactly. So, so but but I am for shared spaces, uh, especially downtowns, of course. Um, and we, we talked about the task force report, so I don't want to go off on that in, uh, right now. But
1: no, I think that's it. I mean, that's why I say I don't have an agenda for it, is because I have a. A vision from my childhood of, like, what a nice space looks like. Yeah. Um, But that nice nice space is nice because of the people that are in it. And you need to uh, (laughs) – you can't just force the space on the people. Yeah, right. And so you have to understand, like, perceptions of parking. So this is
0: one thing uh, I just read this morning uh, in a book that I'm reading about how, especially in Europe, um, and it's kind of catching on a couple places here in just very small pockets, but where every time there's a problem, um, city engineers want to add something, right? So, hey, this needs a, a yellow line down the center, or this needs a stop stoplight, or this needs, um, you know, whatever, whatever curbs. Um, where if we start thinking about what can we take away, it actually makes things safer, and I forgot the term they use, but it's it's kind of like um, the whole road width thing. Like when roads are wider, we have a perception of that we can go faster, so mm-hmm. we go faster. Yeah. Um, same thing when we have a perception of safety, whether that's the lines on the road or the stop signs or the curbs. We feel safer, and we actually drive more aggressively and dangerously. Where if there's these communities that don't have any lines on the road, um, they don't have any stop signs at four-way intersections. There's nothing, no traffic controlling devices, and stats have shown that the crashes have gone down, um, just because people are driving more carefully. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm not not advocating for that, but 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 I think you have to take that knowledge and, and put that to use in the way you're working on the city plan or this downtown plan yeah. or whatever um
1: so i think to 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 that idea i think to that point like an example of that would be um what street is it that runs in front of like coffee Hound and you that's made main okay yeah. so like on main if you had um like uh diagonal parking and just one lane there instead of two lanes with the current configuration, right.
0: So, so uh, currently, just to paint the picture for everybody, yeah. uh, the left side has diagonal pull-in parking, uh, the right side you have parallel parking, and there's two lanes of one-way traffic. Mm-hmm. B- yeah, b-
1: both going the same way, both heading north. Yeah. So, I mean, a step in that direction. Do you like? Closing that road has issues with people getting to the business, and I mean people with disabilities can't get there, and things like that. But I mean, if you go to one lane, that kind of idea appeals to me. Again, I want to be evidence-based. I want to see what the consequences are. But if you go to one lane, there's there's not as much of a perception that you can go as fast. You don't have people passing. It's easier for people to cross the road. It, you know, that was kind of actually values. that was actually my suggestion
0: uh, on task force uh, that I believe got in the plan um, was to change the side with parallel parking to diagonal parking. Honestly, I'm not a so he, here, here's where like take what you can get comes into play. <laughs> I would prefer parallel parking on both sides, mm-hmm. um, and I would prefer making it a two way street again instead of just one way. Um, I don't think that's ever going to happen. I just don't think the the appetite's there to make that happen. Yeah. So then, wh- how can I achieve kind of the vision of what I want to achieve, a- and and make it so people can digest it right, mm-hmm. and and people have parking issues downtown? Well, adding taking the side that's parallel and make it diagonal would add spaces. So there, now we're adding parking downtown. Um, The two lanes, changing that to one lane, I think would slow traffic, um... People have concerns about deliveries. I think that I don't think that's true. I think that's just made up because uh, Uptown Normal, for example, has one lane of traffic, and they have no problem getting the deliveries there because the lane is still wide enough to go around, mm-hmm. which, again, slows traffic. If there's a semi unloading something, you're going to go slower as you go around that semi. Um, so I think I agree with you on that one. That was one of my suggestions on Task Force was to make that a one-lane street and increase parking um, by making it diagonal on both sides. Then you can even even or you can have loading zones. You can have shorter parking limits within those spots. Like Coffee Hound is always such a busy place at certain times of day, right? Mornings and uh, lunchtime, that kind of thing. So several spots that are ten minute parking there, fifteen minute parking there, right in front. Like get two spots right in front of Coffee Hound that are fifteen minute parking. That way people can easily jump in, grab their coffee, jump out, um, and. and Ideally, all statistics... I know people are going to hate me when I say this, but all statistics show that you should be charging way more for on-street parking. Um, I don't think we're ready for that yet either, but this is just kind of a step in there is to make it to make that people and it's actually positive for business because you have more turnover right people come in they park they run into your business then they buy something they get out and they go somewhere else and then someone else can park there and go in to buy something in your business so it's i've seen where business owners like well my customers need to park here i want your customers to park here, but i want you to have more customers that want to park here yeah (laughs) and that and that's the that's the theory behind it so obviously i'm getting excited so i (laughs) you start talking about parking in downtown i get passionate no i mean
1: that's but it's It's a big thing that, as I've learned more about planning, I find that it really is aligned with what I value in participation in local government because it is about making that place, and it's about a lot of decisions that people are making that you can't really see because they just become the air that you breathe, right? They become the water to the fish. Yeah. I remember talking to someone years ago before I had looked at planning at all and talking about how neighborhoods were far more walkable and bikeable where I grew up. And it's something that I value in where I live. Mm-hmm. Like I, I personally would not be willing to live, uh, east of veterans right? because the possibility of biking, uh, maybe if I was over in one of the areas that like links to the constitution trail, sure, I could be okay with that. Um, but largely I want to be able to like have a school that my kids can walk to, uh, to bike to downtown, to do things of that nature. To feel connected. Yeah. yeah. It's important for me personally. You know, I, It's not a value judgment on others, but that's <laughs> something where if I'm going to live somewhere, like it needs to be somewhere where I can get on my bike at my house and then bike to interesting places around. Um, I walk to work every day. That's something that I enjoy tremendously. I would like to continue to do that if i can at least to be able to bike to work right right if i needed to um so i, I was talking to my friend about that and he was just like well i just really like having a car because it's much more convenient it's faster to get places um you know biking is hard and i'm like well the whole you, you live in um he lives like out by the airport uh mm-hmm. so, so it is hard and i'm like yeah it's hard because your whole yeah area is not designed with that in mind so so somebody made a plan and designed your whole subdivision and biking wasn't a part of it which is fine it doesn't need to be but that's why that could be why you think it's hard is because you live in a place where it is hard (laughs) and and i think our that's something our city has to consider
0: is, is so truth truth is i i looked at taking the bus here today um and it was easy to get. I would have had about a, I think it was a nine-minute walk according to Google to the bus stop that I would need to get on. Um, you know, it was a short bus ride down here. But the bus, the closest stop that they'd have to drop me off on was, but behind the old Hardys So again, it's only about a ten-minute walk from there to here. Which you that got across Oakland? That's the part, right? And there, with no sidewalks. Mm-hmm. So so I got to cross four lanes of uh, Oakland Avenue and then walk that ten minutes with no sidewalks. And that's the issue. Like, um, you know, I, I've been looking at. Uh, Connect Transit and kind of how they're because they're, they've been in the news lately about rate, uh, re, I'm sorry, about uh, increasing their rates and bus routes and that type of thing. And the buses, I think they do what they can do. It's the rest of the community. I mean, the chances are you're going to have to walk to the bus stop and walk from your bus stop to get to your final destination. We need to make that part easier. Yeah. Um, you know, they have to run as efficiently as possible, which is what they're trying to do with their routes. But if we can make that first 10 minutes, last 10 minutes more. Easier for everybody to either walk or bike or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that would help bring our community together even more. But yeah. that's the whole reason I drove my car today was because I didn't want to cross four lanes of Oakland
1: Avenue mm-hmm. with yeah. my daughter with me. Yeah, so. I mean, I I definitely live within walking distance of this place. Yeah, <laughs> um, but to do it, I'd have to, you know, I'd walk through State Farm's parking lot. I'd um, then have to get across Veterans, across Oakland, and then walk here down El Dorado. Um, with no, you know, uh, there might be sidewalks a part of it, but anyway, it's it's harrowing Yeah, something that is west of me, um, a similar distance, mm-hmm. I'd be walking through like down Olive Street, uh, on across Mercer, walking <laughs> through uh, Founders Grove. And it's, I mean, my, my kid's school is probably closer. It's probably farther away than this, but I can walk from my house to Washington school very easily. Yeah. yeah. Um, so and, I, yeah. and I'll even say I live
0: on a busy street, um, but it's a busy street that's, still feels much more safe to me than being over here where it's just so car-centric with wide roads that cars regularly go over the speed limit. Um, we have to worry about crosswalks uh, with the lights and all, you know, it's just, I don't know, even a busy street in an older part of town seems mar- much more pedestrian friendly than where we are on the
1: east side here yeah. today, So, So I'd say my, I mean, if I've got any kind of values I try to bring about in my political activity is... Uh, I mean, if I had to bring it down to one, it's just, like, creating spaces that all people feel comfortable in and they interact in. So I look at, like, places where different generations can interact. Are there places where my kids can come into contact with um, you know, people in their 70s? We yeah. can all, and everyone in between can all share a space. That's why I like the the Sugar Creek Arts Festival and the uh, Sweet Corn and Blues Festivals and things like that. The GLT... Uh, concert mm-hmm. downtown Bloomington, um, so yeah, that's that's a big value of mine. Um, trying to figure out where you can create those spaces where people will come and have that experience, right? Right. And uh, I'd say part of that too is a big value of mine. Not having grown up here is, um, you know, I I myself was not an immigrant, but I can relate very strongly to people coming and not knowing, not understanding like where their place is, right. And, the community, and trying to um, support things that help people feel more included. So I was following the welcoming ordinance conversation very oh, yeah, closely yeah. in that regard, and um, you know the what we talked about with Karen Schmidt with uh, welcoming Dayton about how you know to try to have a, a bigger. Um, Try to have a broader sense of what that means to welcoming people into your mm-hmm. community. Um, that's something that's very important to me. That's something where I haven't taken any you know, direct action or involvement in it. I'm still trying to figure out how to balance that with all the rest of my things that I'm doing. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I but it's something that is very close to my heart. Um, and I'd say the last thing is just education and empowerment. That's something that I've loved the last couple of years when I've been learning a lot about local politics is how – when someone has an issue then can i do i have the knowledge to be able to put them in a position to be able to solve that issue effectively like my friend was thinking about starting a business he wasn't sure about zoning issues so i was able to point him and walk through him something with the zoning ordinance i knew that the revisions were coming in place so we can compare the new and the old one and then i could tell him the staff people to talk to if he had further questions about it and uh you know, things like that are extremely motivating to me where I can, like, it goes from just, like, general wondering and complaining to being, like, yes, I know that there's a way to solve this problem. Yeah, and, it's action-oriented. Yeah. 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 Or even, like, you know, someone complains about the quality of the roads, right? They're like, you know, the city needs to fix, um, you know, the, the Veterans Parkway is horrible. The city needs to fix that. Well, it's not a city road. You right. know, Clinton Avenue. um, you know, that's, that's an issue. It's also not a city road. Uh, you gotta talk to your state about that. But uh, then, on the other hand, if they're like, hey, the you know, my, my road in front of my house is really horrible. Well, then get the My Bloomington app out, take a picture of it. It'll get on their to do list, and they'll come and try to patch it for you the best they can. You know, that that kind of thing is. Uh,
0: I actually drove by, uh, just speaking of the My Bloomington app, which if people don't, don't know about it, download it. Um, you can actually, it's less than 30 seconds, report a pothole, mm-hmm. and they are so quick at getting it done. So I was at the corner of, um, I was heading north on Tawanda Avenue at Tawanda and Empire. Um, and i hit a big pothole like it was it swallowed my tire it hurt <laughs> and, I, and i and i drove down the road and i'm like you know what so i pulled into the twanda plaza and I reported, it. and I couldn't use I couldn't use the GPS because I couldn't obviously stop in the middle of the jet intersection, so I had to actually type it in. Otherwise, it would have been quicker. But I, I'm like that; it really could have done damage to my car. <laughs> That's how big it was. And then I drove by. It was probably two or three days later I drove by, and they had patched it. Now it's not; it's of course still cold and winter. it's not a permanent solution that they patched it with. But at least they yeah. solved it from someone else sort of swallowing something. someone else's car. So yeah. my Bloomington app, <laughs> download that for potholes, because if you if they know about it, they'll get it fixed uh, at least patched pretty quickly.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, it still seems weird to me that I'm living in central Illinois. Uh, you know, I've been to like 40 different countries. I've been to Especially when you, states. Especially when you were born in paradise. I know. <laughs> <laughs> it does seem weird. Um, but, man, I just tell everyone, like, when I meet people from high school or from college or something, and they're like, where are you living? Is that near Chicago? Like, no, it's not. Um, it is just a nice place to live. It's a nice place to settle down and raise a family I've got a good job that pays me well, gives me good benefits, um, pays me well enough that my wife can stay home with the kids since that's the choice we made for our family. Um, there's no traffic. I could never live anywhere with a lot of traffic. I just cannot I can't take uh, commuting long distances in the car right and it's um I, feel, I still consider it a safe community, which is weird because I just got robbed recently. But, you know, <laughs> or is that robbed? Is it, is it robbed if someone takes uh, something or whatever? Yeah, yeah. I got something important stolen from me recently. Um, mm-hmm. But still, I mean, on the whole, my kids can play outside, good schools. Uh, and it's big enough where we have a lot of really interesting things going on, but small enough that you can really have an impact and get involved in those things. I agree with it's that. A great sweet spot there. and uh, And I just... I want to be involved because I want to make sure that those things that I like continue to be present. Very cool. Yeah.
0: Well, let's go ahead and uh, we'll we'll take it around now. Well, let's hear from our sponsor real quick, and then uh, we'll be back in just a few seconds. Okay. We want to thank our sponsor, Play Normal Esports. They are located on Eldorado Road in Bloomington. They have over 30-plus gaming machines of Xboxes, PlayStations, and PCs, and tons of games that you can play. They have tournaments running every week. Be sure to check them out at PlayNormalEsports.com. We also want to thank Little Beaver Brewery located near the Big Gold's Gym on South Veterans Parkway. Check them out, they have a wide selection of brews, you could test them all out, find out your favorite. They all they are also now serving food. Little Beaver Brewery.
1: So my wife often accuses me of uh, going on about my favorite topic, which is myself. So let's switch it up a little bit, Justin. That's probably more than anybody ever wanted to know about me. So tell me about your background a little bit. You grew up close to here, but not in Bloomington normal, right? Yeah, I mean, I
0: was born in Bloomington, uh, St. Joseph Hospital, but... uh most of my life was grown up. I grew up in Downs, uh, which, you know, 10, 15 minutes south of Bloomington, not too far. Uh, we were still in Bloomington every single week. Um, spent about a year of my childhood in Florida, West Palm Beach. Uh, we moved down there to be close to Grandma for about a year. Um, but, yeah, I mean, what was it, first grade through 12th grade was uh, was out in Downs at Tri-Valley. After I graduated high school, uh, went to Heartland Community College for a couple years, um, got promoted at the job that I was in. While I was working in high school, so I actually stayed at a lawn care company for 13 years, uh, sales manager for most of those. Um, worked in Peoria quite a bit out of those 13 years, even though I lived in Bloomington. Uh, worked down in St. Louis for one of those years, um, which was a hard part of my hard part. I was uh, living in a business condo by myself, Monday through Friday. It was just home on weekends with, and my daughter and my wife were still in Bloomington. Um, but yeah, and then obviously, I at that time I didn't know I wanted to spend the rest of my life in Bloomington, normal. Uh, it was actually that year I was down in St. Louis in 2012 that I kind of decided that this was home. So we made that decision, and I looked for a career that I could start here, a business I could start here, and did that. That's that's how I ended up here. So so what was the perception you had of Bloomington growing up in Downs? Um Bloomington, normal. Well, yeah, it just—I mean, it was when you live in a small town outside of a bigger town, you always say we're going to go to town. That's what you say, right? Okay. Like, like, hey, I got to go to grocery shopping. I got—I got to run to town, so I got to do that because there was nothing really in Downs to do. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's it, what it was. It was where we went grocery shopping. It's where we went to, went out to eat, where we bought clothes, that type of thing. Um, I didn't give it much thought. I didn't. I honestly, when I was a kid, I always thought I wanted to move to Chicago or a big city. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't want to stay around here. So, but you know, you grow up and things change.
1: Yeah. So has uh, has Downs changed very much since
0: you were there? Yeah, pretty drastically. Honestly, I mean, it was always a good school system. I, I still believe that I went to one of the best public school systems in, in, in Central Illinois, Tri Valley. Right? Yeah. yeah. Um, I know there.
1: people who move. Like who live outside of town just specifically for that reason to put yeah. the kids in the school system and
0: it's only gotten better since I left uh, yeah. <laughs> but but yeah I mean it was it was still good back then um, but it was much more small town back then I mean they had some of the subdivisions popping up uh, it wasn't that long ago, but now they're really popping up and like you said people are moving there specifically for the school system um, property taxes are pretty high out there just because there's no business to really you know pull from so everything's coming from the residents uh, but it's going to the schools and it's thriving out there. It's a blue ribbon award winning school. Their athletic programs are great. Their education's great. Um, but so we, what, what do you think makes it so such good quality? Uh, honestly, what it always comes down to when you talk about quality of anything, it's staff and people. I think it's it's the parents that are willing to put time into their children's education. It's the teachers they hire. Uh, the superintendent out there now, David Mauser. I was in his ad class when he was a teacher out there, so um, he's very passionate about about education. So it's an awesome school. My wife and I thought long and hard after we had a, our daughter about moving back out to Downs uh, Downs area to go to Tri Valley. Um, yeah, but we we ultimately ended up staying in Bloomington. Yeah.
1: So uh, when I remember you told me before about how challenging it was going to St. Louis to take on that opportunity, um, you tell us a little bit more about that. I found that story quite compelling. Yeah. Well,
0: uh, you know, I was working in Peoria, living in Bloomington, uh, sales manager. And I got offered, it was the same title, sales manager, but a much larger market, of course. Um, and it was based out of one branch down there, but I actually worked as sales manager in all three branches. Um, it was St. Peter's, uh, Fenton, and then and Collinsville, Illinois. Um, so, you know, the money was better. And we, we went down, when I first started down there, we had intentions of moving down there. Um, that was our full intention, was to sell our home and move down there and start a career in St. Louis area. And... I'll be honest, it was probably no more than a month to a month and a half after being down there, and I thought, man, I really want to be back in Bloomington. Um, Of course, having the separation from the family Monday through Friday probably played a little bit of a role in that. But I like St. Louis, too. I don't mean to be negative on that community because where I was, I lived in St. Charles um, Monday through Friday, and it was a great community, uh, friendly people, lots to do. But it just made me realize what we had in Bloomington. You, you touched on it earlier, and I think you hit it on the head, when you said, we're, we're big enough where there's plenty to do, but we still felt like a small town. Yeah. Um, you know, I still could go to any grocery store and run into people I know and, and that kind of thing. So that's more what I missed. Um, St. Louis was, and again, all through childhood, always thought I wanted to be in a big city. <laughs> um, and... I, but I really miss Bloomington Normal. And it made me realize what we had, like things like the Castle Theater and the arena and the BCPA and the festivals in Uptown that they that they put on. And all those things that I probably, I knew that was going on, but I didn't really put value on them before. Uh, made me appreciate them that much more when I came back. Yeah, And, and that's what made me get involved. Uh, you know, I, it was that 2012 was when I was in St. Louis. I did move back um, with the same company for another year after that. Working in Peoria again, but that's what made me decide to get more involved in local, in the uh, not just local government, but just the community in general. Uh, just because I figured if I'm going to plant my roots here and make this home, it's kind of one of those things where I want to I want to decide what that's going to look like.
1: Mm-hmm. So you've had experience with a small town and a <laughs> big city, and this seems like the sweet spot for you, then.
0: Yeah, I think so. I mean. Bloomington Normal has so much to offer and we've had guests on that's talked about this so I won't go into great detail Um, but it's just there's stuff to do I mean there's if you say there's nothing to do in Bloomington Normal you're not trying too hard Mm -hmm. (laughs) because there is there's all kinds of stuff to do there's all kinds of stuff for kids to do Um, we are so blessed in this community for so many reasons um and still being able to call ourselves a, a smaller community is pretty awesome. Crossroads of Illinois, I mean, we got all the interstates coming through here, so it's so easy to get away, if you want to, to go to St. Louis or Indianapolis or Chicago or um, Ohio or whatever. I mean, it's so easy to go places. we got our Central Illinois Regional Airport here. Yeah, um, Got the
1: Amtrak going y- different yeah, directions. Yeah, I
0: mean, it is. I mean, we, we have so much going on here um, that makes this place feel like home that, that I want to stay at for a long time.
1: Yeah. It's probably, it's something that my wife and I have talked about that we maybe regret a little bit, um, that we didn't live in a big city prior to kids. Yeah. Um, whenever we've taken our children up to Chicago, it, it's very difficult to do that. I think you get used to it, but it's just very, i so I'd say it's very different and that difference makes it difficult. Right. So,
0: So I, I love, still love visiting big cities. Um, and like. You know, a different path in life might have led me there, uh, but I love going to Chicago. I love, but what I love about it is some of the things I want to bring to Bloomington um, specifically. You know, I love how you can be in a four to five block radius and have everything you need to live. Um, and so that's the kind of the small town thing too in in ways like you can go to your grocery store you can go to get your hair cut you know dry cleaners all that stuff and you're walking four or five blocks and I would like to see that um, develop in in our downtown and uptown normal and and that kind of thing to give us a sense of that because I think that's the cool part about the big city to me is just to have the arts and your utilities that you need and all those things that you need just to live and, and be happy all within a walking distance of each other I think is really cool and if that's not your jam like if that's that's not where you want to live and, and, and set up shop. That's cool, but it would still be a cool place to visit that's 10 minutes away instead yeah, of two hours For people away. who do want that, right, have that available to them. Right, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I, I still love going to Chicago, though. It's one of my favorite cities. St. Louis I still like. Um, a little bit lesser than Chicago. Chicago's always been my favorite. But, um, yeah, just to be able to take the train up there or park, uh, go up there and park for a weekend and just walk, I think mm-hmm. it's cool.
1: Yeah, cool. So, um, so now, then you started... Uh your current job as a country agent. Yeah. Um, what are what attracted you to that? What are some of the things that you like about it? You know, it, it, having a small business is not something you just do on the side, right? It becomes your your lifestyle.
0: I, I always say I, I I decided to own my own business or, or you know start an agency or whatever because I, I'm kind of a terrible employee. <laughs> um, and I mean I'm a hard worker. I've always had a really good work ethic, um, but I always just kind of think a little differently and think. And I get angry when my way doesn't get, <laughs> when, when my way doesn't get enough attention, I guess, uh, or at least looked at. So, so I, I always kind of knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur or own my own business or something, but it was one of those things for years I thought, man, I want to own my own business. But when I try to think of what that would be, I had no idea. Yeah. Uh, I was like, I, you know, I don't want to open a store that I'm not passionate about or I don't want to open a restaurant cause I don't know how the heck to do that. Um, and I've always been kind of a numbers nerd, I guess. Like I, I, um, read the Wall Street Journal every morning in high school. Um, I was actually voted in my senior year as most likely to own my own business. Oh, okay. Um, so, um I've always kind of had that and I thought initially I wanted to be like this big financial advisor like again the Chicago kind of <laughs> thing, uh, you know, wear a suit every day to work kind of guy. Um but then, I, you know, insurance companies and some of the financial stuff around here, I started looking into, since we're such a hub for that anyway in Bloomington Normal. And I interviewed with a lot of insurance companies, financial firms. Um, country felt like a really good fit, and it really was. I mean, I tell people that, that the person, the guy that interviewed me uh, made me feel very comfortable about my decision to go with Country. And I always tell people, it's not like I'm super passionate about car insurance, right? I mean, it's hard to get that. I, I understand the need for it. I understand the importance of it. What I love about what I do is it allows me to do some of the things I am passionate about. Um, it allows me to do, be on planning commission or to serve on Beyond the Books Education Foundation um, or to spend a night in a car to raise money for Home Sweet Home. You know, all those little things that I get to do is what I like about my career. You know, it's if I spend the night in the car and I'm still not ready to go to work at 8 a.m. on Monday, I could go to 10 a.m. because there's nobody wait, waiting for me. I hire a staff to make sure that, you know, clients are taken care of and, and I can do those things. So that's what I like about it. Just gives me the opportunity to do some of the things I'm more passionate about.
1: Yeah. That's, that's something I think people in their like late 20s, early 30s, as I, as I have relationships with people at work and like mentoring relationships and um, I guess I'm to the age now where I'm kind of, I'm a mentor to other people too. I think your your late 20s, early 30s are that time when you try to figure out like is my profession in itself my passion or is my, is my profession or my job, is it something that enables me to fulfill my other passions? And we're raised, especially our generation, was raised like, with the mentality of you know if you if you didn't have, if you didn't need money for anything what would you do you know what's what's your passion in life and pursue that and I would never tell anyone not to do that right right you need to pursue your dreams, um, but you kind of then through your 20s sort of realize like maybe that's not gonna maybe you need to be a little bit more realistic about what your goals are. And that's not to say you let go of them or whatever. Here's you... where I think the problem is with that
0: question. Sorry yeah. to interrupt. Here's where I think the problem is that they, it assumes everybody has one dream. <laughs> sure. oh, that's a good point. Do yeah. you know, like, like my dream is to do this. Well then, yeah, if that's it, if you got one dream, then go live it. Cause you won't care if you don't make any money. If that's your only goal is to have that one thing happen. You don't care about anything else, but that, then you're going to be happy if you do that. Mm-hmm. But if you have a goal to, you know, have a podcast and um, have a political future or, or, um, I don't know what else raise right? raise a family raise and, a family, um, and um, you know and 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 then you're going to have to find a way to kind of bring in all those together and that's what I'm talking about with my career specifically is it allows me to do all those things it allows me to have a career that I can interact with people every day help them solve problems I like doing that yeah I also like doing all the other stuff I like doing. If my only passion though was to help people solve their problems, I could probably find a much higher paying job in doing that. <laughs> but I would be working a lot more doing things, doing that all the time and not have time for all the other stuff that I think fills my you know, fills my bucket full of joy kind of thing. Yeah. So Yeah.
1: Yeah. And and uh, you know, your job now, it's one that you you know, on the whole, you enjoy being there and doing it. Very you much feel so. like you're helping people on the whole. Yeah. Um, I, you're not you know, exploiting people, you're working with people you can trust, you know? <laughs> I, so it's, you know, there are certain, to me, just saying, like, there's a danger also with just saying, like, you should have a job so it enables you to do your other things. Like, if you're miserable going to your job every day, eventually you're going to be miserable in all aspects absolutely. of your life. But if you're something where, like, this, this is a way I can contribute to society and it gives me the means and the time to do other things that I'm passionate about, like, that's, that's a totally legitimate way of approaching your career like you do. And also probably the more common way <laughs> that people yeah. live their lives. Well, at least at
0: least the common way that I think that people that have found that secret out or found that joy out um, that have to do it. Because you're right. I mean, if you're in a job that you hate, it sucks. I was there. The, so I talked about working for that company for 13 years. Probably the last roughly four or five were not fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't enjoy them. And... You're right. I took it home, and it was miserable. And it, not only that, but I was working 60-plus hours a week or in St. Louis or where whatever. Yeah. So I had no time to do any of those other things that brought me joy. So my life was pretty miserable. Yeah, you know, it Bad was, for your body. It's bad for your relationships. Yeah. Just, yeah. I mean, where now I, I tell people, they're like, oh, so um, you work a lot of hours. I'm like, well, actually, I think I even work more hours now than I worked at my old job that I was working 60-plus. The difference is, like, I control it, and that's fun for me, yeah. you know, like I have time to go work out at the gym every single morning, six days a week. Um, I never miss it, my daughter's basketball games right when I so it's it's that kind of thing where before when I was working with somebody or for somebody, I had no control over that and oh. so that's that's it allows me to do all those things I have fun doing
1: so uh, so you're there you've got go back to your um, timeline then yeah you're there you're uh, your agent now. When did you start getting involved? Um, What kind of community involvement did you have at that point? How'd that start? So, gosh,
0: I'll tell you, it kind of happened for two
1: reasons. One, I desperately wanted to be involved
0: in stuff. Um, It was the first time in my life I had the opportunity to do those things. I never had the time to do it. Um, But secondly, it was also my marketing strategy. (laughs) So... I had I took a bit, pretty big pay cut initially when I quit my job and came and came to do what I do um, because if you know anything about agents we don't make very much money unless we're out selling stuff and mm-hmm. when you first start you haven't sold anything yet yeah. so um, my marketing strategy was to go out and be everywhere and do everything because that didn't cost me any money <laughs> so that's how I found a lot of things like initially um, I started uh, volunteering for a Salvation Army. Um, Bell ringing, you know, I volunteer at Red Cross. I got got on a few committees. Uh, I think the first board that I got appointed to was uh, Heartland Community College Alumni Association. I served on that for two to three years. Served on the Red Cross Heroes Committee, uh, served on the Community Cancer Center. I think it was their—I might have this year wrong now. It's been a while. I think it was their 15-year anniversary out there. I served on that kind of committee to uh, bring that that celebration in. So I just kind of found these different things that sparked some interest in me. Um, Currently, I serve on Beyond the Books Education Foundation Board. after I've been doing this now for over five years. So you kind of find the things that really bring you passion and joy. That was one of them for me. Um, and then I started the, the, I don't know, community civic political however you want to call it um interest just because of kind of what i said earlier once i found out that this was going to be home for a while and this is where i wanted to raise my daughter again this is what makes me a bad employee is that i want to i want it done my way (laughs) right if i'm going to be here and i'm going to i I want i want at least some say so and i want my voice to be heard uh on what the city is going to look like over the next 20 or 30 years so um you know, I started meeting some people that I felt would help me guide me, guide me in that direction, and they have. Um, I mean, just like anything in life, you don't do it by yourself. So, I remember it was the first one was Carlo Robostelli spoke at a uh, Next Professionals meeting. So, Next Professionals was a young leaders thing, and through the Chamber of Commerce, and he spoke, and I reached out and invited him to coffee. Um, actually, I mailed him a book. That was the first thing I did, because uh, I, I always thought that would get attention. So <laughs> I mailed him a book and said, hey, really appreciate hearing you speak. Um, understand you're involved in the community. I would love to sit down for coffee. And then we met for coffee. And he's like, hey, if you want to. And, and that's the cool thing about this community, I think, too, is that the people that are genuinely interested and are already involved, if someone comes up to him and says, I want to be involved, they kind of like, all right. They, they uh, kind wrap of wrap, wrap their arms around you and say, let me show you. Um so uh, the more the merrier type thing and he helped kind of get me started there. Um, and then I just kind of followed my passions again and it led me to planning commission. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. And you've run some political
1: campaigns too. Yeah. And got involved in the campaign side of things.
0: I was, I was, so I was chair of, uh, mayor Terry Renner's reelection campaign. So his last run, um, that was more than I thought it'd be. (laughs) Um, but, but I did that. Um, and I volunteered on several other campaigns, been a treasurer for a few campaigns. um, yeah, it just, you know, again, it's finding the right people for the right positions is what I always say I like to do. It doesn't matter about, you know, if they're Republican, Democrat, or anywhere in between, if I think they're right locally for what, this, if they share vision with me, then I want to see them get elected. Yeah. So that's kind of what I do. Um, but, yeah, that was, the first The first big one was definitely Terry's uh, campaign chair. And I remember when he asked me, I really thought, he, he invited me to lunch. Um, and I'd only met him, I mean, I've, I've met him several times, but I've only, like, actually spoken to him maybe three times before that. And he invited me to lunch, and he's like, I totally expect him to ask me, uh, to, ask me to be his treasurer, because that's all I'd ever done. <laughs> um, and when he asked me to chair his campaign, I think I just kind of got an ego trip. I'm like, yes! And re- I didn't really think much about it. like, yeah, of course I will. And then I had no idea what that was going to encompass, and that was like taking on another 50-hour-a-week job for yeah. a year. So that was yeah. kind of difficult, but we made it.
1: Cool. I think what you mentioned about thinking about what your brand is going to be in your marketing strategy with your agency is, is an interesting example of something I've been thinking about of and something relevant to this podcast too, is you, you got to think about like, what are you bringing to bear that other people aren't doing already? Um, you know, what is going to be my thing that means that People should pay attention to me or give me money, and not other people. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, I'm thinking about that a lot, like with stuff online. So, I, through being here at Play Normal Esports, I thought about Twitch, and I I got on there and I see there's all these people on Twitch, and some of them are extremely popular and make money doing it. And I'm like, how do they make money doing that? And so I'm kind of looking at them. I'm like. Well, it's very, o- very obvious why this woman makes money doing it because she's very attractive and she wears skippy clothing while she plays video games. Yeah. Not some, not a market I can penetrate. Probably not work for you. Yeah. Um, so, and then you know, I, I saw other people and like, okay, this person is not necessarily that good, but they're extremely entertaining. Uh, you know, is that, you know, is that something I could do? Mm, I don't know about that. You know, uh, this person does like. You know, in instructional videos, and they're very good at describing what they do and teaching people. Like, "Mm, like maybe that's something I could do. I don't know, but you you have to kind of look at like the field of what's the competition out there, and not get like egocentric to just be like, well, if I just videotape myself playing. Uh, faster than light, then of course people are going to want to watch me because I'm so great at it. You know, right. same w- same with you. So like, that's a long way to bring it back to you. <laughs> um, you know, to try to think about. Okay, so I'm going to be an agent. There's lots of agents. Yeah. I, uh, lots of agents from different insurance companies. Why are they going to go with me? Well, I already have this passion for being involved, and this way I can you know use it to build my brand as someone who's involved in the community and invested, um, and that kind of sets you apart. You know,
0: it's, I like to think. It took, me, it took me probably a year and a half to realize this after I started uh, doing my current career, is that, and this is going to sound cliche, I don't think there's any way I can avoid that, but it's just being myself has helped so much. Um, I, I didn't go out there and pretend like I was an insurance agent. I was an insurance agent. And then I just, I didn't go out there pretending like, or, or acting like what I thought an insurance agent should act like. Um, you know, I I didn't change that much. <laughs> and I think that I, I saw that, pay off a lot after I read that realization. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I wasn't worried about sharing my past experiences. There's a lot of things in my life that has led me to where I am today. Um, and I think people value that I'm, a, I'm an open book, <laughs> um, when it comes to those things and that I, if I disagree with you, like, you know, uh, very controversial that I, you know, whatever, or or however you want to say it, when I became Terry Renner's campaign manager, right? Like, it gave everybody, if you want to talk about being divisive, talk politics, right? And here I am trying to start a business. I was a couple years into my business, and I'm like, I'm going to pick a side. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, you know, I I always... I. feel like I did it respectfully um, when I'd run into people that said you know I'm voting for Kevin Lauer who was running against Terry I'd be like well why and I would I wouldn't like look at them and be like you're wrong <laughs> you know I, you treat people with respect we talked about that at other podcasts and um, I, I I feel like I can disagree with you on a number of things and we can still be friends yeah and and, and you know, there's probably a few things out there that if you told me that you believed and I and I thought differently on, that maybe we couldn't get behind. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but but overall, I think we can disagree on so many things and still find common ground enough mm-hmm. to be friends. And that's what I think generally is in people's hearts too. And that's what I, if I was Terry Renner's campaign manager and you supported Kevin Lauer, I think I could still earn your trust in other ways that you would trust me to be your insurance guy. Yeah. <laughs>
1: you know. I heard someone describe it recently as sincerity. Yeah. Um, I listened to. I think it was Sam Harris, who's a national figure. He's got a podcast called The Making Sense Podcast. It used to be called Waking Up. But he talked about why he wouldn't have Milo Yiannopoulos on. Yeah. And he's like, I'm fine talking to people of his political persuasion. Right. I'll talk to anybody. Um, his behavior does not indicate to me that he's sincere. Yeah. I think he's playing games and trying to trap people in order to get media attention. He can do that if he wishes, but I don't have an interest in talking to him. I to think it's do that. a great way to put it. And uh, most people I have met who have strong political beliefs are sincere in those beliefs. There are people who are trying to manipulate or undermine or attack, or um, you know, they're just unfortunately there's a small subset of the population who are, are insincere or nasty or you know, yeah. sociopathic or whatever. And you got to steer clear of those people. Um, you don't want to be sucked into a game. It's not going to benefit you. Right, but. Um, you know making the jump that anyone who has a disagreement with you or is supporting a different candidate from you is is insincere or not worth talking to. I think it's a big mistake
0: yeah and I mean I, I agree I just and, and I like I like I think sincerity is a good word I mean I, I like wearing you know, jeans and a t-shirt on the weekends I don't want to when I go grocery shopping you might find me in my sweatpants sometimes you know and and I think the perception of an insurance agent or a financial person or whoever um, is that we got to be you know if not in a suit and a tie at least khakis and a polo all the time Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, and here's the thing people say oh you guys golf all the time I hate golf (laughs) so so, I mean I've gone golfing probably six times in my five years as an agent I promise every one of them was because of a charity so (laughs) it's uh, I just yeah I, I try to be myself and hopefully, and what that does for me too, it's, it's selfish in this way, it gives me clients that I like and I can have conversations with, right? Like, if I have to build my own business, I'd much rather build a business where I have the clients that I can be myself around and I can have good conversations with, um, whether than, rather than, you know, the ones that I have to pretend to be someone I'm not around and, and put on this show around. And yeah. that's just not who I am. So, um, yeah, I found, it took me a while. It took me a year and a half into doing it roughly to figure that out, but okay. it's worked out so far.
1: Well, I think that's the niche we're trying to fill with this podcast too, is like you and I both have a passion for civil dialogue, for talking to people, for, uh, just being interested in people who are spending their time trying to build something up. Right. And, uh, and that's, I asked my question, the question I talked about earlier, I asked that when we started this thing up was, uh, is there any point to this? Like, is there, (laughs) is it just that Justin and I think we're, we're interesting people, so we should record ourselves talking It's like, no, I do think that there is something we can bring to bear, uh, and demonstrating that respect, spotlighting people who are doing great things and just talk to them about what their thoughts and experiences are to try to inspire other people.
0: That's it. And I think like both of us are very open to having people that we disagree with on the podcast and having a good conversation with them. Yeah. Um, and even, I mean, we're going to get 13 of 13 political candidates on here in Bloomington Normal, and I, and I don't agree with all of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but to give them a platform to try to explain... What they believe and why they believe what what it is, I think it's important. I think it's important to let people hear those different views and come to their own conclusion. Um, whether it's choosing a candidate to vote for, or an insurance agent to have their business, or a podcast to listen to, um, I think that's important to be able to have that variety and decide for yourself on a level that's not, or how about this, on a level that's sincere. To go back to that word, yeah.
1: So as far as personally, like, if you think about like, what are your goals with your Involvement in the community. You kind of touched on that earlier, but like what? What the word community is
0: important to me. Okay, it really is. I mean, like uh, on all aspects. When I talk about my career, I want to be involved in the community. The things I tie myself to, I want to be. Meaningful. Um, you know, yes, I have a wrapped car with my face on it because I'm a marketing person, but I use that car to sleep in overnight for Home Sweet Home Mission. Or, you know, I might put my logo on um, something to advertise, but that something I'm advertising is probably something that's going to benefit St. Jude on the radiothon or, you know what I mean? I try to tie it to those type of things that I already care about. Um, and so whether it's my business or the things I get involved in, um, with planning commission. It's building a community. It's getting more people. One of the biggest things I hope when my time on planning commission is done that I can say is that I've made people more aware of what the work is that planning commission does. Um, that was been my goal since I got on, um, even before I was chair, that was my goal. Um, actually, one of my favorite things, I, I've gotten quoted a few times in different media outlets, but one of my favorite things was on WGLT when they said, uh, they quoted me as saying, it would be wise for the public to make sure their voices are heard. <laughs> and I feel like that's, that's what my goal has been, because I think when... More people speak up in a respectful way. They can get the community that they want instead of just
1: blasting each other on Facebook. And that makes your job as chair harder, right? Yeah. It would probably be easier if you just tried to get changes in under the radar without having a bunch of people be aware, right? Absolutely,
0: yeah. I mean, so going back to the bees and chickens, right? I mean, thank gosh we passed this, so I feel okay talking about it and bringing it up again. But, um, yeah, I mean, it would have been easy if, we, you know, no one ever leaked that we were going to put bees or chickens in the zoning thing. Um, but once that got out, and I saw that there was some interest in that. I wanted to hear. Like, I I took time out of my day. It was like a Wednesday in the middle of the week. And I went and met at the University of Illinois Ag Extension office with beekeepers um, on my own time. And contrary to what people thought at Planning Commission a couple weeks ago, we don't get paid for this. Um, <laughs> you know, and I sat with them for an hour and I heard them out and they talked about different ordinances of different communities and all this stuff. But I do that because obviously these people have a huge passion for this and here we are the big government which is how they see us even if we're just volunteers you know going twice a month telling them that they can't do something or they have to change something they've done for a while and that's a legitimate concern and i think they deserve to be held, uh, heard out and i think i hope they see us doing a good job of coming to some sort of compromise with them same with uh, we had that business owner uh, worried about a foreign-based code on Main Street. I mean, I know uh, he came up to me. I think he came up to you after a meeting and said, hey, really appreciate you, you hearing us out. Um, You guys asked questions. that got me some answers. You know, it's just that's what it is. It's it's come to me with a respectful thing. I want to get your questions answered. I want more people to be involved in the process. I want because I think that's how you get rid of some of that cancerous garbage that you read (laughs) online or or on social media or wherever is just by making people more informed and and aware of how they can actually affect change and do it through action instead of just being nasty to each other.
1: Yeah. When you think about how. Like, let's say there's no city, right, and then some people start living in a place, and then they form a government, right? Yeah. The, everyone who does that at the time is probably going to be very intimately aware with how that's being structured how it's being set up. What, will, what duties will that government absorb? What will it leave to private people? Time passes, and things grow, and they change, and people become less aware of what the government's doing. The government takes on more responsibilities— And um, then you get to a point of, like, distrust or resentment over what the government is doing because you're just – you're not aware and you're not aware of how best to affect change and provide input. And, like, that – the remedy to it is what you're talking about, right?
0: And people get busy. I, I think that's something that uh, elected officials forget sometimes, too, is not everybody pays that close attention. Uh, I, I promise I've been asked, hey, you're on Bloomington City Council, aren't you? At least a dozen times in the last year. <laughs> um, I've never been on Bloomington City Council. Um, but but people know I do something, and that's the thing, right? They, they're they're busy living their lives, taking their kids to basketball games, going to their job, doing all the, the things that they have to do to make a living and, and, and be a person. And they know I'm involved somewhat with the city. So they're like, oh, you're on city council, aren't you? I'm like, no, no, I'm not. But I can help you Like what do you got Um, So I think that's something people forget But that's what I hope to make Just the process I want to show people the process That I Five years ago I was not involved in anything in Bloomington Normal And now people think I'm involved in everything and so if you just put a little bit of effort and time into it, you can get involved in a little bit. And that little bit's gonna
1: mean mean a lot uh, down the road to either you or, or and it probably will affect a lot more people yeah. too. And you take inventory of what your strengths and your passions are, right? If yeah. if you live in a historic neighborhood and keeping that character in a certain way is yeah. is you know, important to you, then you've got the historic preservation committee. If you um, if you're more of a wonky person who likes to, you know, look at the nuances of code, maybe planning or zoning board of appeals is one you can go for. Um, and it doesn't have to be a board or commission. You know, maybe no. you're somebody who, um, you know, wants to work on a campaign. You feel like you believe strongly in somebody, and you want to get out and talk to people about that, and you want or you want to support that person as a, a you know, a campaign chair or a, a, Or we
0: have a number of nonprofits. Um, the, you know, and, and of course we named like the Red Cross and stuff, but even even more like community minded ones like West Bloomington revitalization mm-hmm. Project, right yeah. like that I love that nonprofit and I'm gonna give them a plug um, just because of how much I love them. This is an organization that kind of this is an overused term but truly gives people a, a, you know a hand up right instead of a handout. It's like, hey, we have this historic older area of town. We can't physically go out and fix up all these people's houses. But we believe in our hearts that they want to live in a nice place and, and to have something nice. So they have this tool library where people can just come, grab a tool for free to help them fix up their house, which makes the entire community better, right? Yeah. We believe these people want to eat healthier. They just... They're, it's a grocery desert, right, or a food desert where they can't go get fresh produce. Let's bring fresh produce to them once a week and let them just get it for free uh, outside of the – like that's the type of community stuff that I think is so cool that they're doing.
1: The bike the, co-op too. The bike co-op,
0: yeah, you know. And, and yeah, that's how they raise, That's how they get money to fund some of their stuff. But it also provides transportation for people to get, get to and from work or to and from the bus
1: stop. Yeah, um, and so, training for them too. I mean people can volunteer and learn how to work on bikes so they can, you know – yeah, man to fish type thing so uh,
0: you're exactly right so i mean it, that's a such a cool organization and there are others like it that it doesn't have to be anything political or anything involved in the city or anything like that but you could still get very involved in your community by doing things mm-hmm. like that and i also think just help a neighbor <laughs> like i i that, that i think that gets lost a lot um in our busy lives now right where like if you see a neighbor that you know it's now in a wheelchair and needs a ramp built outside their house stop looking for a charity to do it and start calling some friends to help you <laughs> I, th- I think that's lost um that we can bring back and i think this is the size community and the type of community that can really do that because um, if there's one thing that continuously surprises me it's the generosity of the people in this community um i have and i i so I, I raise money for my, you know, the whole birthday Facebook thing that you can do now. I did that. And I think I did that for... Um did it for WBRP last year. I think I did it for the uh, Beyond the Books Education Foundation for my birthday in September. So I raised uh, roughly a thousand dollars. Then, like a couple weeks later, I raised over two thousand with my wife for the Home Sweet Home Mission. So like I've, I I went to the same pool It's my friends, right? Friends and, and acquaintances and stuff. And I said, hey, I raised but so i I raised like three thousand dollars for these nonprofits over a span of like a month. And it's just from people. It's like, yeah, that's a good cause too. And so it just honestly surprises me every time I try to raise money for something. I'm like, wow, I got another check.
1: Well, that's that's <laughs> another sweet zone that we're in with Bloomington Normal is we are big enough to have real problems like we have problems of poverty and homelessness and children not having enough food to eat Uh, but we are also we are also big enough to have the means to bring money and people and to solve those problems and we can
0: affect change I sat down with my wife after the Home Sweet Home thing, and uh, I was told that we we didn't raise the most money um, out of all the teams, but we had the most donors. So we had the most individual contribution of it, contributions of any team. And we started looking at the diversity of the people that donated, and I started looking at the political views that people donated. Right? I'm like, oh yeah, I know these people all that like think like me, and I hey, I know these people don't think anything like me, but they still saw Home Sweet Home Mission. They respected that I was trying to what I was trying to do and raise money for them, and they wrote a check or, or, or made a donation. And I think going back to what you and I have said a number of times uh, while talking to candidates, it just means so little when we talk about community. And that's why that, again, I bring up the word community. That's what, that's what I'm more about than anything else is just developing a community that my nine-year-old daughter wants to stay in after she graduates college. Yeah. Um, if she doesn't, that's fine. She can do whatever she wants. But I want to at least make it where she feels like this is a home. And I think building that community can do that.
1: Yeah. Cool. Well, thanks for, uh, you know, continuing to be so open and tell people about your background and your views. Um, you know, you and I talked about doing this as our first episode, and I think we were wise not to do that, yeah. uh, to kind of get a listener base. Um, and most people who listen probably know either you or me. Most people probably don't know both of us. Probably, right. So, um, you know, a chance to get to know us a little better and see where we're coming from and why we're doing this uh you know, I, thought, I think it's a good time to throw that out there into the world and see what happens. Yeah,
0: and and, and just to make rest, make everybody rest uh, easy, that we won't do this all the time. <laughs> um, we're gonna get some more. We we have a few more political candidates to get on, then we'll be done with that, and then we're gonna start going back to our. Uh, Every other week, type thing, getting some interesting people and Bloomington to normal some business owners. I've gotten messages that I probably haven't even responded to, so I apologize. of uh, Suggestions for guests, and we got a list going, and we'll get some really good people on here over the next year or so. So, so keep listening.
1: So we want to, before we close, continue to thank uh, Play Normal Esports and Normal Gadgets for letting us use this space. Please yep. support them because they support us. I'll say this about Little Beaver before we go. I went in there for a happy hour um, last
0: week. I don't want to say it was Thursday. Could be wrong on that day. I got the happy. My happy hour was supposed to start at five. It was a group that I'm involved in. I got there a little before five. It was probably like four forty, 440, four forty-five, and the place was pretty darn busy. I mean, not busy enough where like you're standing around can't find a table, but busy where you feel like this is going to be a cool environment to hang out in.
1: If you're ever in local bars too, like Eight Bit or. Flingers, night want, Shop. Night Shop? Uh, yep, yeah, Night Shop has yep. them. Yep. Just uh, scan down and see what they have, and I, I think if you pick the little bro- beaver one, you probably will not be disappointed. Yep, I haven't been yet. <sighs> All right, are we done here? Let's be done. So uh, we're getting pretty awesome at these podcasts, and I actually don't have an outtake. So I thought instead I could uh, ask you for your favorite dad joke. What do you got yeah. right on me?
0: Uh, a ham sandwich walks into a bar, orders a beer. Bartender says, sorry, we don't serve food.
1: Ah, it's a classic. Yeah, a good one. I like it. Yeah.
0: I have another joke, too. Can I tell another one? Yeah, go for it. I have a friend from North Korea. North Korea that I asked how it was going. He said he couldn't complain.
1: I dig it yeah well I I cycle through what my favorite one is you want want one I got right now sure okay why don't kleptomaniacs have very good senses of humor (laughs) why they take everything literally (laughs) nice all right